Good evening. Um, thank you for coming. Tonight's class has been dedicated by Dr. Chaim and Batya Cohen in honor of Dr. Cohen's sister, Charna Matla Baschoni Olova Shalom. May her neshama have a very, very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights and lots of brachas to you. Mazel and brachan, only, only good things. Thanks for that dedication. The CD this week has been dedicated by the Dubinsky family in honor of the upcoming Yardside on the 22nd of El of David Yoyna Olav Shalom Ben Menachem Mendel Sheyichia Hakoyen. Um, may this be a great schus for his neshama to carry him higher and higher to the greatest of heights. And may he channel lots and lots of brachas down to your mishpacha. And very soon we should be reunited with David Yoyna down here in this world. With the coming of Mashiach. Let it happen before the year 5777. Um, before we begin tonight's class, I do want to announce the upcoming events that are happening at Mayon. We have a really, 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 really jam-packed week. Tomorrow night, of course, is our very special event. Um, it's the anniversary of the beginning of Mayon. It's the birthday of the Holy Balshemtov, and we're going to celebrate in a very, very special way. So I really, again, for those who have not yet decided to come here tomorrow night, um, it is a good idea. It is going to be a very powerful evening. At Mayan, a powerful evening of music and song and stories and just very, very high and very, very elevated. Um, this event will not let anybody down. Unless you come too late and you won't have a place to sit. So come early. Because I hope that it will be a nice, a very, a very nice showing tomorrow. Um, then we were supposed to have a class tomorrow night by Rabbi Yuk- not tomorrow night, on Wednesday night, by Rabbi Yukasil Kalmason, but the last minute he had to go out of town. His first two classes were absolutely marvelous. You can listen to him online. Um, the, the, uh, so the, the, the class transcend for now is not going to happen on Wednesday night unless we switch him with something else, which I didn't have a chance yet to think about. So for those of you that are here, that are planning to come on Wednesday night, unless you hear otherwise, the Wednesday night class is not going to happen this Wednesday night. We're going to have to schedule that class for another time. Then, Thursday. Thursday morning, um, there is a 11.15. We have our Moshiach class. Uh, it's called Liberate. It's a really, really, really interesting class. It's discovering Moshiach throughout the Torah. It's really, really good stuff. So this is on Thursday morning, 11.15. And this is a class that you can see on the other side. You can tune in by calling in on the phone. Thursday night, we have a great class, Delve, our regular Thursday night class. This year, the Mimer, this week, the Mimer is called to understand the Indian of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's, there's a lot. It's a very, very, very important class to come to this Thursday night. Matzah Shabbos, as we begin, Slichot, to say Slichas by the non-Svardim, by the Ashkenazim. This week, Matzah Shabbos. So we're going to have a, a pre-Slichas warm-up with music and, and stories and inspiration. Um, at 11.30, Be'ezer Hashem, over here at Mayan, this is for men and women. We have Moishi Storch, we have a couple of guitars, and a very, very, very moving 
interlude of introspection and soul opening up your heart so you don't fall into slichas cold and uninspired. And then slichas itself, with a lot of singing, very, very powerful slichas led by Rabbi Kalmanson. So I hope um, you can join. This is, again, this is this Matzah Shabbos. Slichas is going to be 1 o'clock a.m. On Sunday, the class that my son-in-law, Rabbi Zirkin, gave last yesterday in the morning, 10 o'clock, was an absolute home run. If you want to hear an amazing class that just gives such insight into the psychological obstacles that we all have in trying to get into the LL and figuring out how to overcome it, please do yourself a favor, listen to that class. It's up online. It's called Overcoming Our Inferiority Complex. Next week is a continuation called The Choice. So that's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Don't miss that class. It's jewels. It's pure gems and jewels. 10 o'clock in the morning, um, this this upcoming Sunday, the 18th of, not the 18th, the 25th. Sunday evening, we're having a, our first symposium um, for this life program. The symposium is a group of rabbis that will be discussing, each one delivering 15 to 20 minutes, a, addressing a very, very, very strong question which I have every year, and I'm sure many of you do have, um, am I a hypocrite? Rosh Hashanah is coming, and who doesn't feel like a hypocrite? Based on all the promises we've made in the past, and here we have to stand in front of God and bear our soul in truth and accept Him as a king and try to and make um, acceptances and promises that we're going to be the best we can be as a human being and as a Jew. And a lot of times we feel very foolish doing that because based on past failures. So we're having Dr. Fox, who's both a rabbi and a, psych- and a psychologist, uh, who is going to discuss it, I guess, from a psych- psychological Torah perspective. We have Rabbi Kupfer, and I'm the, the dean of, I think, Maimonides, right? Um, and just a ph- phenomenal, uh, deep thinker, and he's going to give his take on it. And then my son-in-law, Rabbi Zirkin, as well. So this is going to be a phenomenal event. This is this coming Sunday night, 8 o'clock. So you might as well just pitch a tent in the Mayan and sleep here the next month. Because it doesn't pay to go away. There's only good things happening over here. Um, okay. Those are the announcements for now. And, and of course, there's next week Monday night class. All right. Now that all that has been said, um, let's make an attempt at this week's class. As I mentioned, it's not yet developed, but with Hashem's help, let's hope. It's Chayel tomorrow night, and um, it's an important day for me. It's an important day for all those who have a relationship to Hasidus. Um, the birthday of the Holy Soul, of the Holy Baal Shem Tov. And uh, a couple of years later, the birthday of someone who saw himself as the spiritual grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, another tremendous, phenomenal, great luminary in the world, Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the Balatanya. Both of them were born the same day, on the 18th day of El. It happens to be also the yard site of another giant in Judaism, the Holy Maral of Prague, in which the Balatanya was a descendant of his, and lots of Hasidus has its roots in the writings and the teachings of Maral. 
In any case, um, this is a great day celebrated by Hasidim. And um, it's a day that we really should delve into the understanding and the appreciation of the Baal Shem Tov, who he is. And being that the Baal Shem Tov is the master and the one who brought a whole, shed a whole, shed a whole new uh, light on the idea of Ashkacha Pratis, of divine providence, how divine providence is so detailed and detailed of detail that even a little leaf that falls off a tree in the middle of a winter storm, how many leaves fall off a tree? How many? Billions probably of leaves are falling off in the fall. And every single one of those leaves, when they fall, the Baal Shem Tov says there is the exact divine providence of how many times that leaf is going to flip over in the air as it is coming down and in which direction it's going to turn. And when it's finally going to land, if it's going to land on this side or it's going to land on the other side, exactly where that, where that leaf is going to land. And when a second wind is going to come and pick it up from the floor and push it into an alley, and then it will end up on top of someone's garage in the back or is stuck in a sewer pipe or something like that, that is all with divine... God is thinking about it himself and directing all of that. So if that's true about a little leaf landing in some sewer pipe, right? So how much more so when we're dealing with the life of a Jew, which is the prime, the apple of God's eye? How much more so is when we're talking about the soul of the Jew who revived the Jewish people in the last 250 years and prepared the world for Mashiach? How accurate is it that the day that he was born was a precise time? That he had to be born on that day. So he's always born, the yard site always comes out in the week of Parshas Kisavo. Not the yard site, the birthday of the Balshanto. On the week of Parshas Kisavo. So there must be a relationship between Parshas Kisavo and the Balshanto. Since it is also the birthday of the Balatanya, so perhaps there, there has to be, not just perhaps, there has to be that the Balatanya's yard site is also connected to the day of the 18th of Elul and Parshas Kisavo. So I wanted, what we want to do today is look into Parshas Kisavo and let's find the Baal Shem Tov in Parshas Kisavo. Let's find the Balatanya in Parshas Kisavo. Let's see why they're there, what, what, what's their connection to this particular Parsha. So first of all, just a word about the Baal Shem Tov. You know, to many people, those, especially those that have not been invigorated and enlivened, and those people who have, whose lives have not been totally metamorphosized and transformed by the teachings of Hasidus, people that are looking at it from the outside because they have not allowed themselves for whatever reason, either the opportunity has not presented themselves or because for whatever uh, reasons that sometimes people have certain inhibitions and certain, I would say, foolish things that, are keep, that sometimes hold people back from allowing themselves to look at something new. Now, the Baal Shem Tov is not new anymore. He's here already for the last 250 years. But sometimes people can be a little stubborn in just holding on to something and not allowing themselves to take a peek at, into the world of Hasidus, into the world of the Holy Baal Shem Tov. So for those, however, have tasted Hasidus and seen the Baal Shem Tov, uh, know that the Baal Shem Tov, so though, I'm sorry, those who look at the Baal Shem Tov from the outside think that the Baal Shem Tov definitely is a tzaddik. Today everybody agrees, even though there were times when people were very suspicious of the Baal Shem Tov, who he was, what, where, and when, but today everybody already knows that the Baal Shem Tov was a great tzaddik, but people look at it as another tzaddik that lived in the world and made a certain contribution to the Jewish people. And there are so many other tzaddikim. But that is not true. That's just absolutely not true. 
Of course the Baal Shem Tov is a tzaddik, and of course the Baal Shem Tov made a huge contribution to the Jewish people. But the Baal Shem Tov didn't just make a certain contribution into Yiddishkeit by giving us... If the truth is, if you really want to look at the Baal Shem Tov and say, where is the Sefer that the Baal Shem Tov wrote? There is no Sefer. What Chiddush did the Baal Shem Tov say? What's, what's, give me a vert. Tell me some nice shtickle Torah that the Baal Shem Tov said. There are a few, but very, very little. And probably mo- a lot of these Torahs of the Baal Shem Tov, if you don't really dig into them, they think, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a nice vort. He titles a pasuk. It's a short little thing. So it's not this chiddush, or it's not that chiddush. The Baal Shem Tov uncovered a whole new dimension in Judaism. The Baal Shem Tov revealed the soul of Israel, the soul of the Torah. From the Baal Shem Tov and onward, it's a different Judaism. It's a different Yiddishkeit. And those who have merited to allow the light of the Baal Shem Tov into their neshama experience Judaism on a whole different level. And their connection to Judaism is, is extremely, extremely deep and, and very, 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 very alive. Um, we know that when the Baal Shem Tov went up to heaven, um, the Baal Shem Tov was told, he met Moshiach, and he asked Moshiach, When is the Master coming? The Baal Shem Tov rephrased a phrase that says in the Talmud of one of the sages who met Moshiach, and he said, When are you coming? And Moshiach said, Today. That's in the story of the Talmud. And then later, Moshiach didn't come, so the Yohanavi explained, He meant today if you're going to listen. Fine. When the Baal Shem Tov met Moshiach, he used the same term. He said, Amos, I call Asimar, when, are, when is the Master coming? And Moshiach answered, When your teachings are going to spread out. That means when all over the world people are going to learn your teachings. Like it's being done tonight over here and all the time over here and all over the world there are so many teachings of Hasidus today that are flooding the Jewish world and actually entering even, even into the non-Jewish world ideas and concepts of Hasidus. Unbelievable how Hasidus is mamish continues to because Hasidus is the life. It is the pulse of life. And life has to be everywhere. So the, so the Mashiach said, when, when, the te- when your teachings are going to spread throughout the world, that is going to herald in the time of Mashiach. Now when Mashiach comes, what is Mashiach going to introduce? In order to understand what the Baal Shem Tov introduced, we need to understand what is news when Mashiach is going to come. So when Mashiach is going to come, we know just a little Kabbalistic little idea. The Arizal says that an interesting thing, that all the revelations that there were in all of time, all godly interaction with the world until Moshiach comes is from a level of chitzonius. It's from the external of God. When Moshiach will come, Pnimius is going to be revealed. The innermost of Hashem is going to be revealed in the world. Let's just say that a little Kabbalistically in the words of the Arizal, the Arizal says that all revelations that there were, and there continue to be God's interaction with the world, is from any one of the divine attributes. For instance, for example, Hanhagas HaTeva, everybody knows there's such a thing called the natural order. The sun coming up in the east and rising in the west. The, uh, the, the, the weather systems that there are. And all the other natural phenomena, people being born, 
life goes on, right? Seeds being germinated and flowers blossoming in the world as the world moves throughout history in the general natural flow of nature. God, of course, is conducting it, but from which level of the divine is this communication happening? Is God communicating with the world? So we know that is from the, lo- the lowest and most external, so to speak, level of godliness called malchus. That's the final and tenth attribute where God fixed a set order of how life works, how the world operates. When there is a miracle, for instance, that means that God is interacting with the world from a higher, deeper level, a more inner level. Not this fixed dimension called Shekhinah and Malchus, where things are already very defined, but from a more panemiastic place, from a more inner place, from a higher Sephira. It's coming maybe from the attributes of Yesod, or the six emotions, Chesed, Gevurit, Eferes, which is called sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a transcendental dimension of the divine. And then there are moments when there are revelations from even much higher sefirot, higher levels in the divine, called Chabad, Chachma Bina Das, the intellectual uh, faculties of God that are even higher and deeper in. And then there are super moments that are so deep and they're so high and there's such a powerful transcendental revelation of God like by the giving of the Torah, by the splitting of the sea where God peels away all the chitzoni levels and He reveals keser, the crown. The crown is the pure infinite light of God and when that is revealed, wow, wow. We see unbelievable. We can see, we can, we can see the sounds, we can hear the, 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 the sights Unbelievable what was going on. The whole world turns over. Oh, it's amazing. Fine. So the Arizal says that all of that, from all these revelations, even when the Keser is revealed, you should know it's only the Chitzonius of the Keser. It's only the external part of the crown. The internal element of God's crown, in the words of the Arizal, Pnimius Atik, the innermost of Atik Yomen of the Ancient of Days, has never been revealed, and that will only happen after Mashiach comes. Which means that God Himself has never... The innermost of Atik Yomen means the innermost of Hashem's very self. That has never been revealed. When Mashiach will come, that's going to be revealed. So what does that mean? If we say now that the teachings of Hasidus is the precursor or the the introduction to Mashiach's arrival, and we need that, and we know that as we spoke last week, God is your shadow. So however we act, that's how God acts. And we cause everything above. That must mean that what the Baal was all about was Pneumius. The Baal brought out the inner, inner, inner core of our Yiddishkeit, the inner, inner core of our soul, the inner, inner core of Torah. And that's why when I asked before, what did the Baal add? He said a vart, he said a this. I can tell you from other big tzaddikim, much greater varts and this and greater, greater. It's not that. The Baal revealed, brought life into Yidd- or uncovered the life. Yiddishkeit came alive through the Baal Torah came alive. Jews started living their Judaism, not practicing their Judaism. It started becoming something that is you identify as your very self, as your very essence. And your Yiddishkeit is coming from deep within, not something that you're trying to get involved with a certain program that is, for whatever reason, has is good for you, or whatever it is. It's just coming, as we're going to soon going to see, it's coming from within. The, that is the novelty of the Baal Shem Tov and the Baal Shem Tov's teachings in the world was uncovering the soul of Yiddishkeit. I, I was last week in, in Texas for Shabbos 
And I was in a non-Hasidic community and I was there as the speaker for Shabbos. And I shared a lot of Hasidus and I stayed by the rabbi, uh, such a tzaddik of a yid. I, it, was, it was the most beautiful experience staying at his home. It was so nice and such a, a, an inviting human being, such a beautiful yid. And we discussed, and he's inspired a little bit by Hasidus, but generally doesn't see himself as a Hasid. And he's still looking at it a little bit from the outside, kind of. And we were discussing, and he asked me about the Baal Shem Tov, and he said, who was the Baal Shem Tov's teachers? Like, who were the Baal Shem Tov's teachers? And, you know, if you look in Hasidic tradition, the Baal Shem Tov doesn't really have any teachers. It's not like you say, this person learned by this one, and this person learned by this one. The Baal Shem Tov somehow came out of nowhere. He was this young orphan boy who comes out of a forest, so to speak, as a little boy, he runs out in nature, hangs out in nature, and sings to God, sees the shepherds, and somehow he comes back. Now, it's very strange because the Judaism, the Jewish people have a very strong filter. We're very serious about our Yiddishkeit. And we generally don't go for any hocus-pocus-wocus. And when someone comes out of a forest and he's got new teachings, you really want to know, who'd you learn by? And that, that's basic. So you would think, you know, to start a little cult and a little movement, I understand. But the movement did not remain a little cult. The, moon, the movement swept across the world, and at least half of the Jewish people became Hasidim. That's what happened. In, in all of Europe, half of the communities, maybe a majority, was swept up with Hasidis. And it was not, people think it was only simple people. There were Torah giants and geniuses, which were swept up, by this new teachings of the Hasidists. And you got to wonder, the Jewish people would have been very suspicious of who is your teacher? Who is your rabbi? Tell me where you learned this from. You can't just come here. We have, we have a Mesorah. And a Mesorah means... And you got to wonder, it bothered me. And I, asked, I thought about that question. Who was the Baal Shem Tov's teacher? And the Baal Shem Tov did have a teacher. And, uh, he did have a teacher. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But first the Baal Shem Tov didn't have a teacher. He couldn't have had a teacher because the Baal Shem Tov needed to see the Judaism from a whole new perspective. And if you are looking at Judaism still as a continuation, if you're seeing Yiddishkeit as a continuation from what before, then he couldn't possibly have introduced to, to the Jewish people such novelty, such a whole new reality. Again, it's the same exact Yiddishkeit, but so alive, so vibrant. He couldn't have given us that vision and understanding just as a continuum from what was before. He really needed to step back outside of everything that was taught and go out and come back and see it with a whole new light. So in truth, yeah, Every other tzaddik does need to have a teacher because all other tzaddikim and all other teachings were based in a continuum, just seeing the same, but expanding and, 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 and revealing various different nuances. The Baal Shem Tov comes and sees a whole new world. He sees a whole new reality. That needs someone new, someone that's not... It's not that the Baal Shem Tov didn't have a teacher. They told us Yaakov Yosef, the chief recorder of the Baal Shem Tov's teachings, he was one of the oldest disciples of the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Pulna, who was a huge, huge Torah scholar, a Goen Adir, writes in his book, and this was the first Hasidic Sefer that was printed, in his Sefer writes that Moiri Verabi, my teacher, 
Most of the teachings that we have from the Balshemtiv, by the way, are in his taken from the Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Polnas teachings, including that letter from the Balshemtiv that he went up to heaven and he met Moshiach, and he said, "When is Moshiach coming? When Hasidus will spread all over the world?" So um, he writes that the teacher of my Rebbe of the Balshemtiv was Achia Hashiloni. Who's Achia Hashiloni? Obviously, he's the teacher of Eliyahu Anavi. He was in the Beisdin of, of David HaMelech. Not only that, he was a Jew who went out of Egypt. He lived a very long life. He was one of the Yidin who went out of Mitzrayim. The Ramam says that Achia Shaloni lived very long. And then he lived to the days of King David. And he was in David HaMelech's Beisdin. Then he was the teacher of Eliyahu Hanavi. And he was the teacher of the Baal Shem Tov. Now why exactly Achia Shaloni and the connection of Hasidus to Achia Shaloni, I don't know and I haven't seen an explanation. But it always bothered me, why not learn with Eliyahu Anavi? We know our word tzaddikim, Ariza learned with Eliyahu Anavi. Others also learned with Eliyahu Anavi. Many tzaddikim learned with Eliyahu. But the Balshantav doesn't learn with Eliyahu Anavi, he learns with Achia Shaloni. So the answer, again this is my own thought, is that again, the Balshemtov's teachings are so innovative, yet they're so, he doesn't add anything, yet he adds everything. As we're going to see soon. The Balshemtov doesn't add anything to Yiddishkeit, yet by the time the Balshemtov leaves this world, Judaism will never be the same. And it's transformed forever. That, Eliyahu Navi is someone who is related, still part of the tradition. He teaches this one, he teaches this one, he teaches this one, he teaches this one. We needed something, so to speak, out of the box. Something from a place totally new. A new dimension, a new reality. And that's what the Baal Shem Tov revealed. So now let's get a little bit onto understanding of what is that Chiddush of the Baal Shem Tov, And what does it have to do with, um, with um, Parshas Kisavai. Let's look at a moment at Parshas Kisavai. In Parsha's Kisavoi, the word, the name of the Parsha is Kisavo, when you will come. So Rashi tells us that what does it mean when you will come? So Rashi says that it means, oh, when it says you will come into the land, it talks about the mitzvah of Bikurim. Bikurim is the, the first ripe fruits. When a far, Jews came into the land of Israel and they, they planted their fields. So every year, the first fruits that are ripe, you're supposed to take the first and bring it to the holy temple. And show your gratitude to God. That's called bringing Bikurim to thank Hashem for all the for all the goodness that He did. Fine. Now the words the Torah introduces this mitzvah is Vahaya Kisalo when you will come. Now the name of the parsha is Kisalo, and we've discussed many times that the name. If you want to know what the essence of the entire parsha, look at the name. The name holds within it the entire essence, the essence, the main message of the parsha. So the main message of the parsha is to come. Ki savo when you will come. So, um, but what does it mean when you will come? So it says that, um, the Gemara says that whenever a mitzvah is introduced with when you will come, it doesn't just mean when you will enter, it means when you will enter and you will settle, you will inherit and you will settle the land. It requires not only entering, it requires, for example, when the Yidden came into Eretz Yisrael, and they, um, and so for, for, let's say someone um, goes and plants 
Eretz Yisrael has not yet been conquered, but they did enter at least in the beginning, cross the Yardin, and immediately someone goes and plants a little garden, and a few months later he has already some of the produce. He could not come to the base of English and bring Bikurim, because the, the land has not yet been inherited, which means we didn't take possession of the full land, and it has not been yet divided yet amongst all the people. It took 14 years for Eretz Yisrael, after the Jews entered with Yeshua, it took 14 years until they completed seven years that they fought wars and another seven years that they divided. So those 14 years you were not obligated in Bikurim. Now the truth is, the Pasuk says that explicitly, You're going to inherit it, you're going to settle in it. So Kisava means, someone can argue, say Kisava means just entering, merely entering. But then when it says, You will inherit it, and you will live in it, that already means... The next, that's already the next stage. Not enough just entering, you have to actually settle it and inherit the land. Fine. We could have said that. But the truth is, as mentioned earlier, the Gemara learns out that every place it says, Tavo, when you will come, when, by any mitzvah, not just by Bikurim, any mitzvah where it says, Kisavai, when you will come, that implies that you're not obligated to begin doing this mitzvah only after you settle the land. Not all mitzvahs are that way. There were some mitzvahs that related to the land of Israel that you can start doing it immediately when you come in. But the mitzvah, but those mitzvahs where it says savo, it means only when you come in and you inherit the land. Why? Why is that? So the Gemara says, because once you find that in one place, where is that? By Bikurim. Once you find in one place, the Torah specifies you will inherit it and you will settle. So from here you can derive that every time it says kisavo, it means when you will inherit it and when you will. So you see that the that what does savo mean? Savo doesn't just mean coming into something. Savo means total immersion into something that you're fully, fully, fully there, meaning you inherited it and you settled in it. The reason for that is, what's the reason? Because coming into, in the full true meaning of it, because you can say, coming in, you've entered. Coming into means coming into something completely. If you go into something and you're only part of you went into it, that's not called entering at all. The Gemara says in Masech Chulin, If you enter into something only a little bit, it's not considered entering. I'll give an example. Someone goes to the mikvah. A mikvah, as you go underwater, if someone puts a partial part, part of their body in the mikvah, it's not like part of your body has been purified, but the other part is not purified. And it's not like you're getting contaminated because there's the bloodstream that's circulating, and therefore, since your head didn't go in the mikvah, and just your feet up to your chest went into the mikvah, so therefore, the blood that's over there, that's not what it means. You don't begin to have entered the mikvah unless your entire body's in the mikvah. And even if one here is protruding or sticking out, out of the, out of the water, it's not it doesn't count. Because Bia B'miktsas, entering a little bit, is not considered entering. You have to enter the whole thing. It's a Torah's Kahanam, it says in regards to Toivaling Akeli. When it says that you have to, you have to bring, the, the Keli, the utensil has to come into water. The Torah's Kahanam says, maybe I can Toival it miktsas, maybe I can Toival a little bit, and then turn over and Toival the other part. 
part doesn't work. You have to put the entire thing and submerge the entire vessel in one time. And we learn it out because it says, Bamayam Yavo, and then it says, Uva Hashemesh, the sun will set. Vitar and Obitar. So we compare it. Just like when the sun sets, it's the entire sun that's setting. It's not like a piece of the sun sets and a piece remains above. Yes, it takes a little while. But the entire sun goes down. So too, when you're putting something in the mikveh, when something is entering, it has to enter fully. And if it doesn't enter fully, it didn't enter at all. So therefore, when it says kisavo, and the name of the parsha kisavo means to enter. And to enter means, can only mean when you fully enter. That's why. When Jews came in there, since the Torah requires you to go in, so they say, I entered. My whole body is geographically within the space of Eretz Yisrael. Wonderful, that's good, but you didn't really enter. Why didn't you enter? Because if you didn't settle yet, you didn't fully set, you didn't get your portion, that this is your place, this is your inheritance, and you didn't settle it, it's not really called, you haven't entered. Like we all know. If you're moving, if you're going to a certain town, you're moving, let's say you move to Chicago. And you move, the first thing you come to date, you have to move. So you go, but you haven't yet got a chance because you're not living there. You can't really look for an apartment. So you come, and meanwhile you're staying in someone's back house. So are you in Chicago? You're not in Chicago. You can't, you're not, you're there. Technically you're there, but you're not there. Why are you not there? Because as long as you're living in a back house of someone's back house, you're not, you're not fully there. Oh, when you can finally find an apartment. Or even if you're buying an apartment that you're still living month to month and you haven't like really settled up. Or even more than that, let's say you mamish have an apartment, but you haven't yet, and you, all your stuff is in boxes. Are you there? You, f- you don't feel like you're there. You only feel like you entered into a certain environment when you unpack your boxes. You have an apartment, even better if you own a home, that's even more. But if you, bought, you have a place that you can call yours, and you unpack everything, and you settle down, ah, now I'm here. So to enter, to really be somewhere, to enter into it, requires being settled. And here, and here it's even more. What happens if Yeshua gave your shavit, Yeshua gave already your tribe, your portion. You got your farm already. But there are still Jews that have not yet been settled. Since all the Jewish people are really one entity, it's not considered that you're really settled in as long as there's still, as much as we care about each other, and as much as Jews intrinsically are attached to each other. So as long as there's some Jew who hasn't gotten yet his land, and he hasn't unpacked his suitcases yet, and he hasn't settled, it's, it's disturbing you. You can't be fully settled in the land, and therefore you can't truly come and thank God and give gratitude for it because you're not there yet. You don't really, it's only when you, when you, Hashem, you feel like you're living in the land and Hashem gave you something. He hasn't fully given it to you. You can't really appreciate. Until all Jews are settled. That's the Indian of, that's the meaning of Savo. And now I'll understand how powerful it is. That Dafka, the, the Parshas Kisavo, is the week that Kisavo, the, the holy Nisham of the Balshemtov, comes into the world. Because that's exactly what the Balshemtov has given each and every one of us. With Hasidis, we can enter into Yiddishkeit. Fully immerse, fully become one, fully be in Yiddishkeit, and Yiddishkeit is not, does not remain something outside of us. Only with the revelation of Chassidus are you able to start living Yiddishkeit with every fiber of your being. That Yiddishkeit permeates you, you and your Yiddishkeit become totally one. It's not like something external, it becomes totally, you enter it completely. Now why is that? What is it about Hasidis that enables us to be able to enter into Yiddishkeit in such a rich, in, 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 not rich, 
in a, in, in, fully be one with your Yiddishkeit. That is because we have to, for one moment, mention earlier that the Balshemtov's Inyan is Pneumius. Pneumius means internal versus Chitzonius, which is external. Let's understand the difference between internal and external. Every person has an internal element of themselves. Internal means where you are for yourself. You are for yourself. External is you as you relate to others. As you're already acknowledging that there is another, and you relate, and as a result of you relating to others, you adapt to the other that's outside of you. Panemius is the place where you are and nothing else exists but you in your inner core. That's Panemius. Now, um, let's try to give an example. Now, every person has, has an internal nucleus, which is your Panemius. And then you have a Chitzanius, your relationship. And, and we all operate on Chitzanius levels, but we also all have a Panemius. A certain area, what would we say? That's a depth and that's where I am, me. So let's just see that in, in, in when, you, when, we, when we're wondering like this, if you're getting involved in something, are you involved in that thing with your chitzanius, with your external? What that means is that there's a piece of you that's not there and that's your essence. Your very essence is not invested in it. Or my involvement with something is bepanemius. See, my involvement with something can only be bepanemius if that thing that I'm getting involved with, I don't see as something external, I see it as me. If I see it as me, then I, then I can be invested in it with my entire being. Because in my entire being, nothing matters, only me. So therefore, if this thing is me, then I can be invested in it completely. So let's find two, two or three examples. One example would be from the difference between a businessman and an employee. Okay? A businessman has, an, has a business, and they're running their own business. Okay? And then they have an employee. Both of them do similar things. Okay? They're both on the phone, answering emails, sometimes schlepping boxes, sometimes making deliveries, talking to customers, sometimes even cleaning up the floor, mopping. There's all the things you do when you are both a boss and you're an employee. But we understand, everybody understands that there's a very big difference in the way these very things are being done from someone who's running their own business and these very, very duties are being done by someone who is hired by the company to do a job. When you're doing a job, it's not your thing. The business is not your thing. It's a job. If it's a job, so you have your responsibilities towards that thing, obviously, what's important to you is to get paid. The business is not important. Now, of course, if you're a mensch and you care, so you have a certain degree of caring, but the caring is not that this is me. This is something, okay? And you want, of course, you want your company to be successful, because if you're going to be successful, then you're going to get a promotion, and you're going to do better. But the essential aspect of the business is not you. So then what happens? First of all, everything that you're doing, you, you, you can get, a good employee gets invested in what they're doing. They're not just, you know, disconnected. That's an employee, you don't want an employee like that. If a good employee is going to get invested, he's going to put his mind to it, he's going to even get emotional. Sometimes when someone gets really into it and you, you're dealing with a customer, you can even get worked up. Even if it's not your business. 
But, but, but you, 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 you allow your emotions to go into it. Definitely your mind, your emotions, that can be. But, but everything is at the end of the day when you leave at, at, at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and you left the work, you go home, you left the business in the business, you left your work at the work, the, what's going on in the business does not disturb you when you're sleeping at night. It's not in your head when you're eating. It's not in your head when you're going to a party. or when you, Because it's a, it's a job you're doing. It's something that is occupying you. It's something that is taking you in your external. It's not taking you in your internal. It's not grabbing you in your essence because it's not you. In your essence can only be you and that's not you. It's someone else's business. It's not you. But the boss, the owner of the business. So first of all, everything that they do is done with a certain attachment that the employee can't have. But in addition to that, there's no such a thing that I can drop it and leave it. If it's me, it's me with me all the time. So even 3 o'clock in the morning, if they wake up in the middle of the night, they're thinking about the order, they're thinking about the thing. It's in their head all the time. It's, the, the employee doesn't, is not, unless the employee needs to do something in which they're going to get a raise and they, they need to finish a certain performance or to finish a deal in order to do this, then they are, because then it's them. That particular part is them. But the general business is not, is not the employees. The general business is I am doing something for somebody else, for something else, which I'm getting a benefit from. Fine. But it's not me. Your business is you. That's one example of the difference of doing something with your essence or being invested in something only with your chitzanias. Here's another example in relationships. We as human beings make forge many, many relationships with many, many people. And over here too, there's many layers of how invested and how involved we get into a relationship. So first of all, there's the general decency of a human being to a human being. If you're only a decent human being and you're on the street and someone stops you for directions, so if you're not in a mad rush for whatever, whatever is happening, and just a normal walking down the street, someone needs directions, a decent human being, you'll stop and you'll give them directions. Now, do you really care about this human being in a very deep place? No. I mean, as you're, you care because you care. If a person needs help, good, you give him help. Now, him or her, no, fine. Now, what happens if they're asking of you something that, wow, that involves already a, a lot of exertion and a lot of your time, and he's a total stranger that you met on the street, and let's say, I'm not talking about a Jew who is, not a, is never a total stranger, but someone just stops you on the street and asks you for a favor that's going to take you a half an hour of your time. And it's not like you just might have absolutely nothing to do. So you say, excuse me, I'd love to help you, but I really don't have the time for this. Right? But what happens if it was your next door neighbor who met you and said, I need you for a half an hour, can you please help me out? So you might you consider it a little bit more seriously, right? Because a neighbor it touches you a little deeper on a deeper level. Like you look at a human being like an onion. you got many layers. So the neighbor, because you're... You're, 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 and it's an acquaintance, gets a little closer to you. So this person, you will give them a half an hour. But you might be a little frustrated that you're giving them a half an hour. Why? Because you feel like it's occupying your time. I had like a busy day, I had stuff to do. And now you're taking me away from what I need to do of my business. And I'm doing something for you. See? It, it becomes, it, it, it can... And if they ask you once, it's one thing. But if they start asking you every week or every month for this half an hour, it starts getting a little uncomfortable. Because I'm feeling I'm going out of myself to help someone else, right? Fine. And that's how we have relationships, many relationships. But then we understand that when even a good friend asks you to do something, asks you to pick you up from the airport, you'll do it. Again, depends on how frequently it happens. And even then, at certain times, it can be a little annoying. But when your own child asks you to pick you up from the airport, 
It's never a burden. I mean, unless there's an emergency, you can't do it because just something had to happen, you can't be there. But it's not a burden, the fact that I'm going to go and travel, because it's your child, your child is you. Child is not someone other than you, so it doesn't burden you because it's the child is your premius. It, 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 it's, your, it's, it's your identity. Your child is an extension of your own identity. When you get married and you have a spouse, so um, sp- a spouse always needs things. You know, we a husband and a wife are always doing things for each other, and uh, that's a struggle. That's part of being married. Is to is pre- part of being married. In part, is, 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 this is the process of, in marriage, is to be able to identify with the other human being where the other human being stops being another person in your life, but they start being the extension of yourself. When they are the extension of yourself, you don't get annoyed by your spouse asking you to do something because it's like if their need, it's your need. That's the idea of panemius. See, your panemius can never, your panemius never steps out of itself. That's the rule. It does not step out of itself. It cannot step. It can't recognize anything but itself. It is yourself. That's your nucleus. So if it's going to be in a relationship with something outside of it, it has to bring that thing in. It doesn't go out. Understand what I'm saying? It, it, it doesn't go out of itself to connect. What it does is it pulls that other thing in where that thing has to become part of my identity. If it's not part of my identity, then it won't work, Right? So, of course, a husband and wife, we know the reason why they can become one is because in essence, they're one neshama. And because they're one neshama, but sometimes it takes many years to figure that out. Till you can stop being annoyed by your wife asking you constantly to do something, your husband asking you to do something, who needs, it's, it's, it can something takes years until you develop in the, into that realization. The famous Rabbi Arya Levine, known as the Tzaddik of Yerushalayim, once came to the doctor with his wife, famous story, and he said to the doctor, he said, he's explaining to the doctor, he said, his, her, her, her foot or her leg is hurting us. So instead of describing my wife has pain in her leg, he said her leg is hurting us. Her leg isn't hurting her, it's hurting us. Because there's a certain point where his, union, where his marriage was so deep, where she stopped being someone important or something in his life, she is him. There was a point, the two merged together where there was no him or her. Her leg is hurting us. Obviously we understand that ultimate Avas Yisrael is a panemius thing. Avas Yisrael is when any Jew is hurting, his head is hurting me, not hurting him. It's my pain because I realize how me and him are one Hashem and one entity. So panemius, see when I, when I said earlier, that p- the place your panemi is, is where only you exist. So someone says, well, that's so selfish. Yeah, but that's not a negative sense. That's just it. Your, your panemi is you. Now, does that mean selfish? No. When you realize that you can identify with others, other yidden, as they are you, then, then you become much bigger than just yourself. The other person is also you. So you can care about someone else like you care about yourself. Not like you care about, because they are you. So that's the idea of panemius and chitzonius. Chitzonius is where you're connecting, you're doing something outside of you. And panemius is when it is you. Now let's just give one more manifestation of this idea. A home is panemius. A hotel or staying anywhere else is chitzonius. Every time you leave your house and you're amongst, and I mean a hotel, but even when you're going out, you go out 
anywhere. You go on a bus, you come into a department store, you go into a uh, uh, wherever it is. You go, you go to a party, you go to a wedding, you go wherever you go out. Wherever you go out, you are behaving. There is behaving. There is being and there is behaving. In your home, you are being. Outside of your home, you are behaving. Anytime you are behaving, that's chitzonius. Because that means I'm considering the environment, I'm considering the outside, and based on that, I'm adjusting and I'm adapting. That's me as I'm recognizing the outside. The deliciousness of a home, the comfort of a home is, this is a place where I don't have to behave, this is my place. Here I just am. I'm not behaving, I am, I am me. That's again, this is panemius. This is where you exist and nothing else exists. And um, Chitzonius is the, 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 the external part of you sensing, relating, adapting, adjusting, and acting in a controlled manner to relate to the outside. When we say, for instance, that God, the Abishter, wants to have a home in this world, it means exactly that. That for thousands of years from when Hashem created the world, the world and Him are two separate entities. Or at least so it, it seems like. And Hashem relates with the world in a manner where He has to adjust. He behaves in certain ways. He, he interacts with the world as if He's behaving with something. And that's why we always speak about the various different behavioral elements of God. This name, or that name, or this particular, now He's behaving this way, and then He's behaving that way. That's all called Ziv HaShechina, the ray of the Shechina. That's him projecting, that's not him being. What Hashem wants as a result of all the Torah and mitzvahs that we do, is that we make this world into a home where God can just be, not behave, not adjust, not project, just be. But that can only happen when the world and Him are totally one. And that happens when Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, the world enters into it, is, is, has a realization, has an understanding that it's not something other than God, it really is nothing other than the Abishter's pleasure and the Abishter's desire. It's part of, it's an extension of his existence and of his being. As a result of that, God doesn't have to behave with it, he just is in it because this is who he is. Right? Now when it comes to Yiddishkeit, and let's see um, the Chiddush of the Baal Shem Tov in Judaism. The one thing in, you can say in a person that is panemius and that is really panemius is chayos, is life. Life is panemius. What do I mean by that? Um, when you have um, a certain, a certain uh, a human being has many, many faculties. First of all, a human being is made of, has a physical side, right? Physical side has 248 limbs and organs. So there is this limb and there is that limb. Okay? And every limb is part of the, human, of the human body. And then a human being also has certain kochos, certain powers. What we might call, you have your senses, five senses. Then you have your, uh, you have the kochasechel, power of your intellect, power of your emotion. This power and that power, these are all powers. Right? So the question is, when you say you have a power, what is the power? Is the power you, or the power is something that you have? Your body, 
It's some. It's 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 something that you possess. It's not you. Chayus life is not an is not is not something that a person possesses. Life is you, and that's why it's interesting. The relationship of life to the body is that life. When you add, let's say, you have a dead body, and now you have a living body. So the question is, okay, can someone say, did you add something to the body? Is there anything that's added? You can't point to anything in that body. The body looks exactly the same in terms of its, it's warm, of course. But besides that, the body is the same body, dead or alive. What's Chayas? Chayas life becomes so pneumistic. It becomes so internalized and one with the body and it reaches every, every, every corner of the body. Every, from head to toe, the entire body becomes alive. The two of them become one. Absolutely one because life is the panemius of something. It's not an add-on. It's not a chitzah. It just is. It's one with the body and one with... It. So the two become are one, one akuda, one point. When you, when you examine Judaism, until the Baal Shem Tev came along, um, Yiddishkeit was behaving. You had to behave, you had to confirm, you had to behave in a certain way to be a Jew. What's your relationship with God? Your relationship with God is, there is, God has given us Torah and mitzvahs, which through these Torah and mitzvahs, you forge a bond with God. So first of all, to begin your relationship with Hashem, you need to have knowledge. When you have knowledge, you're developing a connection to Hashem. Through the knowledge that you learn, you become a holy person. You become a godly person. Stamazoi, who are you? Just a nobody. But if you want to have, in terms of the religious, religious value, from a religious perspective, if I want to look at you with value, yeah. if, if in religion it's, the idea is to be a, 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 a connected to, to Hashem, what gives you a connection to Hashem? So you study Torah. Through the Torah that you will learn, you're going to, forge a, you're going to get godly information. And then when you behave and do certain things, so then you are following the program that the Abishta made for life. Fine. And what's the motivation? Why are you doing all these things? So why are you keeping Torah and why are you doing mitzvahs? Number one, first of all, it's through this that we attain a connection to Hashem. Number one. Number two, it's through these things eventually in which we are going to have what we might call olam haba, ultimate uh, pleasure and delight as a result of the Torah and mitzvahs that we're doing. So first of all, then the Torah and mitzvahs is a little bit like a job. When you're doing a job, what are you doing? You're doing your job, and what do you want from your job? You want the money, but the job itself is an external thing. So I'm following? The job is an external thing. I want the money, but I need the job to do things. So I'm never, it's not me. The job is something I'm taking on to do. So in this case, this whole program of Torah and mitzvahs is for what sake? It's, I will have, if I would be able to get to the Olam Abba without the Torah Mitzvah, I would need the Torah Mitzvah. But now, through the Torah Mitzvah, I get to the Olam Abba, which is this delightful experience. Comes the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov says like this, your relationship with God does not start 
Your relationship with Hashem does not start because you learn or because you behave. Your relationship with the Abishta starts with your very being. You are a Jew. That's what the Balshemtiv did. The Balshemtiv walked around and told every Yid, You are a Yid. You have a Neshama. You are a godly being. You are an Hashem or one. You have a Chelek Lekayim Imal. Therefore, therefore you have an intrinsic bond with God. Therefore, you don't need the infirm. You know, it's not only, of course, the Abishta wants us to learn Torah and to connect him with our minds and understanding. But just the mere you, stripped from anything else, nothing else but you, you already have the deepest bond because you and the Abishta, you're a child, you're a, you're a son of Hashem, you have an Hashem that's peace of God, and you can relate to him. And therefore, even if you never learned anything, and you don't know anything, you're a total ignorant person. You're just as Jewish as the biggest scholar. Your essential bond to the Abishter is absolute. And when you daven and you speak to God, words that are coming from your heart, you're connecting. And in your simplicity, in your very, very simplicity, in which you don't have any, 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 any sophistication to it, just a simple cry, Hashem, I want to be close to you and I want to attach myself to you. The Balshem said, that's real. See, before the Balshamta, there were people that had these feelings. But it was dismissed. It was ridiculous. Is there any validity to that? You learned something. You're inspired. You have some information. You have some knowledge. It's one thing. Stama, krechts coming from within you. What is that? But the Balshamta said, it's not about behaving. It's not about acquiring from the outside. It's there. You have an ishama. You're a yid. So when you're... And therefore... The mitzvahs that you're doing, once you discover that you have an neshama. So the mitzvahs that you're doing is not because you're choosing to do something for something. The mitzvahs that you're doing is because that's, that's a yid. The abishter and Torah and mitzvahs are one, and a Jew is one. So that's what a yid does. A yid puts on tefillin because, because this is the way you allow, you allow for your intrinsic bond that you have with the Abish to, to manifest itself and to reveal itself and to actualize itself through the tefillin that you're doing. It's not the tefillin that's making you Jewish. It's the Jewishness that's there. You're expressing it in your arm. You're expressing it in your physical life. Through what? Through the tefillin that you're doing. So it's a whole different putting on tefillin. What's the difference? Pneumius and chitzonius. Here I'm doing something relating to something other than me. There is something called religion. Even God is something other than me. There is me and there is God. I'm a creation and God is God. Comes the Baal Shem Tebul, says no. Now of course the concept that in Hashem is a chelek alakayim imal was a known element in Yiddishkeit but no one spoke about it and no one made that reality. That the reality of every Jew is that you are a Yid. There was no one who looked at another Jew who said that, just, that the most simplest of Yidin is, is, is a Yid and has all the holiness of the Jewish people like, like the biggest rabbi. The Balshemtiv revealed that. And he validated the internal bond that Yidin had with the Abishter. And he uncovered it. So we all know the famous story of the Balshemtiv that there was this simple Yid who came to Shul to Davin. And the Baal Shem Tov was sitting with Shoshana and he, was, and he saw that there was a great decree in heaven. 
and that no one in the world was able to bring all the prayers and all the cry, all the petitions and everything that the Jews were doing and all the and Yidden were saying the machzer. Yidden was saying so many tefillahs and we were saying all the piyutim. We were singing all the beautiful songs and all the all the elements that we would be do, that we were doing in terms of what it says that you're supposed to do on Rosh Hashanah. Somehow weren't working. Suddenly there was this one Yid who did something very very untraditional. What was the on the Belshanta started laughing? What was the untraditional thing? There was a little peasant, a boy, or a farm boy, or a shepherd boy, came to shul, and at the point where he saw everybody's crying, everybody into it, his neshama was bursting because he wanted to be part of this situation, but he did not know the aleph base, and did not know how to hold a sitter, and he didn't know not one song, and he didn't know what to say or how to say, the words didn't come out, and so he remembered the only sound that he knew in which to express himself was the, was the root cry of the rooster, kukuriku, right, or kakadoodledoo. And, the, and he started yelling in the shul, Kakadoodledoo, right? That was his cry. And the Balshemtev said, once that cry came up, wow! Why did that work? The answer is, everybody was behaving. This boy was being. He just was. He cried out. From the, he, wasn't, he wasn't adapting into the machzer to do this or to do that. Now, did the Balshemtev tell everybody after that story, close your machzerim, we should forget about it. If the kakadoodle do worked, why do you have a machzer? Why do you even bring a machzer to shul? We should all, all Hasidim should get together and all day long we should do kakadoodle do. First of all, if everybody would be doing kakadoodle do, then they would also be behaving and not imitate. That's, that, that's not natural. For him, it was natural. It was his expression. But the point is like this the Balshemtev is saying, that yes, when you are following all the detailed instructions of Torah, when you are saying Baruch Sha'amar, when you are saying this tefillah, or you're saying that tefillah, don't say it as if you're doing something because this is what we do, tradition, this, that. Just be yourself, allow your kakadoodle do to come out in the bracha that you're saying, in the ashray that you're saying, in the vayvarech david. Be one with what you're doing. Because you are a Jew. So the Balshamta revealed Neshama. He revealed your Atzim. He revealed that you're, that, 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 that he revealed the, the, the life force of Yiddishkeit, the you in the Yiddishkeit. That's why everything the Balshamta revealed, let's understand something in Yiddishkeit. What did the Balshamta teach? The Balshamta revealed, first of all, Ashgacha Pratis, that the Abishter is in every little detail, sub detail, and sub 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 detail, even of the most minute thing. The Balshamta revealed, emphasized very strongly Avas Yisrael, loving a fellow Jew. The Balshamta spoke about Simcha, joy in Avodah Hashem, and brought out joy in Avodah Hashem, right? What else did the Balshamta? These, these are the main teachings of the Balshamta. So when we analyze all these things, all these things are not, they're all soul, it's all nefesh. It's what it is. It's soul. It's chayas. It's not a thing. You see, when you are behaving, and anything that you're doing, and you are behaving, you're bottled up. You're not comfortable. It's very constricting. In Yiddishkeit, it becomes a constriction. Because you're, you're not yourself in it. You're, protect, you're doing something. Even if you have a good reason to do it, why is it, be, why is it going into your job? Even if you're making money and you're going to your job, so tiring and so exhausting and so frustrating and so... What do we all love? A day off. Because 
When I'm going into it, I'm bottling myself up. I'm not being me. I'm adapting. But when, hold on, hold on, hold on. But when I'm not adapting, but I'm just being, then it's freilach. Then it's joyful. Then it really is joyful. So what is joy in being a yid? I remember, I'll give you an example. I remember when I... Okay, I grew up in a Hasidish home where people were Hasidim in general. I wasn't really taught, in, in a, at least in a philosophical way, the, 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 the ideas of Hasidis. And, and, it, and, I, and I was learning in a Lithuanian yeshiva, in Bnei Barak, and for, in some way I discovered the book of Tanya. I started learning it. hard for me to recapture those days but I can say one thing it was great it was exhilarating information it was phenomenal it was, it was what I learned I learned Tanya I started learning it but more than anything else what I remember the most powerful thing was from the first time in my life I felt powerfully alive I was like I, the joy of discovering that the world is filled with godliness and that everything I see, every, every, every physical item, every, 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 um, every, every material thing is nothing more than divine energy. And it's all the Abishter. And of course I knew, everybody knew Hashem is everywhere, but now it's like, it had meaning. So what was that? I was alive. It, wasn't, it was like... And, and every time I felt like when I, when I was learning, the more I was learning, everything that I learned resonated with an intuition. It's not like I'm learning new information. I'm just discovering myself. I'm discovering what, what I know. What I, what I know is right because it's me. And I never felt that when I learned anything else. Because when I See, when you're learning the soul of Torah, then the soul... The soul is uncovering your highest. It's uncovering your identity. Your identity. The beauty of learning Hasidus, anything, is that you, you, if you feel like you learned something new, then you didn't really, really learn it yet. The learning is usually it's in a way that, oh yeah, this makes so much, yeah. It's like, yeah, of course. Because it resonates. Why does it resonate? Because it's the soul of it. It's not an added thing. It's the soul. And the soul is, is, is the etza, is the essence. The essence is this. So again, the Baal didn't teach anything new. He just uncovered and revealed the life force in the world, the life force in Torah, and the life force in Yiddishkeit. And that's why the Baal teachings are key savo when you will come. Because as long as one is not in touch with this life force, as long as someone is not discovered that he and the Abishter are one, and he and Torah Mitzvahs are one, and you're doing a program because you want whatever it is to score points and to go to Olam Haba, to get something out of your Yiddishkeit. But it's not you, it's just something you are doing because of, or you can do other things, you can do it because you're scared of this big God who might hurt you, or you can be doing it, whatever it is. But it's not the discovery that this is who you are. This is your etzem. This is you. You are Shabbos. You are mikvah. You are kashris. You are. And when you're doing the opposite, 
You're actually, when you're doing an Avera, you're, 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 you're acting in, in contradiction to your identity. And I don't have to, I don't have to perform mitzvahs to do things to become, it's the opposite. Because I am a Yid, and because I am connected, so then I do all these things, but this is what a Yid does to express that godliness and that holiness. And again, this is already philosophical. But when, when one taps into Hasidus, one senses that. Senses the, 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 the inner chayas of Yiddishkeit, the soul of Yiddishkeit. And when you have that, then you and your Yiddishkeit are one. Now again, this is an avoida. This is an avoida because it's not like someone identifies and says, Oh, I'm a Hasid. I'm a Hasid. I was grown up in a Hasidic family and I do Hasidic things and I celebrate this yomtiv or that thing and I, I dress a certain way and I'm a Hasid. That's exactly what the Balshemta was fighting against. It's not that because you see, even in a business, I'll give an example. Even in a business when it's your business, what happens in a business a lot of times? Even though it's your business, sometimes the work starts getting tough and hard and lethargic and and what do you have to do when, when that happens in your business? You have to remind yourself why this is, like why you got into this business in the first place. What you're doing, you have to re-identify with it. And then, again, it, you, 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 you have, then you and your business are one again. And when you and your business are one again, you have life in it. It's same as in a marriage. Just because you felt one time in your marriage how the two of you are absolutely one and how it's us, not, not me or you, and how her leg is hurting me, hurting us, not, 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 right, as we said earlier, just because you felt it once doesn't mean that we remain in that consciousness all the time. That takes constant, constant reminder, constant working. That means working on your marriage, working on discovering the intr- intrinsic bond that the, two, that the two of us share. So in being a Yid, Hasidus demands tremendous avoida. But the avoida is internal avoida. Let's move away your working to to, to remove from yourself all the obstacles that are making you feel alienated, making you feel as if you have an existence. If you are, that's what ego does. Ego is a chitzaynius tegeklipa that captures your identity, and Yiddishkeit remains a thing outside of you. So the work is, no, to push away that klipa, to, to, to strip away that external thing, and to rediscover. And that takes constant studying of the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and his students. So parshas ki savai, which means to enter. And as we said earlier, entering means entering till it enters into every fiber of your being, is the contribution of the Balshantav. And when we have ki savai, then we have Moshiach. Because Moshiach is when the whole world discovers its intrinsic oneness with God. And then automatically everything is in accordance to where the Abishter wants. And the finite and the infinite merge together and become completely unified as one. In this itself, I don't have time to get into it right now. In this itself, there are two levels. Because when we look at life that permeates the body, there's two life forces. There is a singular life force that animates the entire body from head to toe. And that is that you feel alive. And that there's no difference. Your brain isn't more alive than your toe. The entire body has one uniform life force. That's one life, and then there's another kind of life. Each individual limb and organ has its own unique individual life force. The eyesight in the eyes. 
That's the contribution of the Balatanya onto the Balshemtov. The Balshemtov revealed the general powerful life force that a Jew is one with Hashem. And the Balatanya took that into the details. Took that into the details. Because a lot of times you have a lot of inspiration in the general, but it doesn't filter into the details of. of, of. So that's a whole different avoda to be able to do that. And that helps you come even more into what you're doing in a very internal way. If you're not only connecting to a general life force that is, that is equal and uniform in the entire body, but you begin to discover the life of each organ and each limb. That happened when the Balatanya began to dissect the teachings of the Balshemtov, filtering it through the mind and revealing the, all the nuances that the Balshemtov is teaching, which was a Chiddush, which is a new style of Chassidus that the Balatanya brought. But that too is an advance in this discovery and this inability for us to be able to live our Yiddishkeit to the fullest, not only in a general way, but in a very specific and detailed way. Uh, may we merit that from Chai El right now, uh, we should already experience and reveal that, that the promise that the, the, that the Baal Shem Tov, that Moshiach told the Baal Shem Tov, that when your teachings are spread all over the world, Ka'asimar, um, Moshiach will come. May we merit to see Moshiach Tzedkenu and really, really, really experience the oneness that we all have with each other and the oneness that we have with Hashem. May that be now.